The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. Hello, and welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence, and I'm sitting in a bucolic park in Vancouver, Washington. It's actually a national park, the Fort Vancouver National Historic Site. And where I'm sitting is across the street from a replica of Fort Vancouver, originally built by the British Hudson's Bay Company in 1824, but later taken over by the U.S. Army. And though this is a quiet tourist spot now, when the U.S. Cavalry was based here, this was the seat of American military might west of the Mississippi, certainly the most powerful fighting force on the Columbia River. And in 1877, the U.S. Cavalry engaged in a brutal war against the Nez Perce people, far east of here in what is now Idaho. They call themselves the Namipu. The War of 1877 is one you may know from Chief Joseph, who fled the cavalry and led his people all around the west, until his surrender just south of the Canadian border. In our program today, we're going to talk about what happened to a different Nez Perce chief at the time, and the group of families that were with him. His name was Chief Redheart, and he and his people were not at war with the United States, but they took him captive anyway, imprisoned him and the men, women, and children who were with him. They were treated harshly, paraded around, and conditions were bad enough that a very young boy died. That was 1877. What you'll also hear in our program today is a series of voices talking about an annual memorial that began more than 120 years later in 1998. These interviews are part of an oral history project Confluence is doing to preserve the memories of those who have been part of the annual Red Heart Memorial. This is a story about history, but also about memory, family connections over generations, and how we honor and recognize our history in public and how that can evolve over time. Here's how Jamie Pinkham describes how important it is to remember what happened in 1877. He's the former head of the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission, a Nez Perce tribal member, and a descendant of Chief Joseph. These stories, um, in in many ways, when I I think about um, how much our tribe uh, is invested in um, telling our own story. You know, we've been studied and people have written books about us, but um, this really gives us an opportunity to, to explain our side of the story. The treatment of the Nez Perce uh, and the fact that the government didn't protect the interests of the tribes and um, you know, it, was, it was easy to do abuses against the Indians and not hold uh, the settlers accountable for those abuses. And that contributed to the tension. And so we, we see what happened along the Snake and Salmon Rivers uh, when the Nez Perce were reopened, um, which eventually uh, precipitated the war uh, in what William Tecumseh Sherman called the most extraordinary of Indian wars. And what I find interesting, too, is that you know even though People always look at Chief Joseph as being the supreme leader of it, but but again, it, it, it was a failure to recognize the political autonomy of the various bands of Nez Perce. 
It was the band of Nez Perce led by Chief Redheart that ended up imprisoned in Vancouver. The idea for the first memorial to that story started with a man named Royce Pollard. He was actually the military commander at Fort Vancouver and later went on to become mayor of the city of Vancouver. He didn't know much about Chief Redheart, but he traveled to Idaho to talk to the Nez Perce tribe about the upcoming Lewis and Clark Bicentennial. And they immediately, you could feel the tension in the room. A number of people said, why, uh, you know, why would we want to come to, uh, to Vancouver? You held our relatives prisoners there. Why would we want to go there when, you know, your army, your army mistreated our people? And I said, I said, I'm aware of the mistreatment of the Red Heart Band in Vancouver, and I'm sorry, and I apologize for that. Um, but I, I would hope there would be some way that we could make some kind of reconciliation and, and do what we could to, to become friends and celebrate um, the things that we have in common. Eventually, an Esperse delegation agreed to travel to Vancouver, but on their terms. The Red Heart Memorial has been led by a Nez Perce elder named Wilfred Scott. Everyone just calls him Scotty. We had uh, went to Vancouver to, at the request of the mayor. That was Royce Paul at the time. I told him, well, we'll go, but we'll, for one reason, we'll do a memorial. Every time we do these memorials, one of the first thing I tell the people, I, I tell them why we're there, why we're here sometimes. And I say, today we come, you know, we return here, and I tell them why, and I give them a little history of what happened there way back when. But I tell them we're not here to ask anybody to come up and say they're sorry. We're not here seeking forgiveness from anybody. We're here to honor those that were here 139 years ago, or whenever the time may be. And that That's the way we start and the way we open things up. When we go to Vancouver, and I've, I've started, uh, even before we start the memorials, I ask the people, all the Nespersons, to come out. And we just get in a little circle, not any bigger than this here. There may be 10 of us, maybe 15, maybe 20, and I try to get them real tight. And I tell them, I says, today we come here to honor our ancestors. Let's do it in a good way. Let's don't hurt anybody's feelings. Let's don't say something that's going to come back on us, say something that we're going to be sorry for. If somebody attacks or says something negative, don't respond to it. Just remember why we're here. I tell them, you know, when we honor them, we honor ourselves. I remind the people that. Some of the key features of the Red Heart Memorial include riderless horses and a pipe ceremony led for the last few years by Nez Perce tribal member Pete Wilson. So from my mother's side, I come from Red Heart, Chief Red Heart, which we know in Nez Perce languages, Temena Ilbil, that's Red Heart. And then uh, from my dad's side, I come from the Chief Joseph band. But yeah, when the Red Heart, Memorial actually started. It was significant to me, and I always told my siblings how important it was for us to make it down there to that because 
that's from our mother's side of the family. We actually had our family, when we had the, actually had the horse parade, they were all Red Heart members that was riding the horses. And they was actually leading a, a couple horses that were riderless because they actually, we do that at every ceremony, have riderless horses, and that's for the people that we've left along the, the Nespers Trail. Every time we get down there to Vancouver, and most of the time before the pandemic, we actually pass the pipe around and let everybody smoke the pipe with us. You know, what we're doing with our pipes, our sacred pipes, is to help our ancestors' spirits rest. Scotty remembers one moment in particular about that first Red Heart Memorial. He wanted to honor the young Nez Perce boy who died in captivity. So we went over and we'd done the first memorial and I went through all the books and got all the, everything I could on, on Red Heart. And I got the, the list of the names of all those that were there that was, that was published. And then there had a a little two-year-old boy, and he was identified as the son of Little Bear, who died while they were there and is buried someplace there. Nobody knows where. So we took a little chair, and a little folding chair for kids, and I got a big stuffed teddy bear. So I put the chair out there, and I put the bear in it, and I set the bear in it. And uh, so we'd done our our, all our preliminaries and everything, and we was getting ready to do the pipe ceremony. And So anyway, I asked, I said, if there's anybody, a visitor, anybody from this area, from Vancouver, that has a two-year-old or, or younger, uh, a boy, would you please come forward, please? What Scotty didn't know at the time was that in the audience that day was a University of Oregon law professor named Mary Wood. We're going to return to this moment of the ceremony, but first, Mary explains her connection to it. Well, my family goes way back with the Nez Perce because my great-grandfather, C.E.S. Wood, was aide-de-camp to General Howard in the Nez Perce War of 1877. And he objected to what the Army was doing, chasing the Nez Perce people. And he resigned from the Army after the war ended. He had become friends with Chief Joseph, even when the two sides were at battle, because as aide-de-camp, he was the person who was often sent by General Howard to deal with Chief Joseph and to talk to Chief Joseph. He actually took down Chief Joseph's surrender speech at the Bear Paw battlefield, and that was a significant occurrence in his life. So after he resigned from the Army, he became a lawyer and settled in Portland. Chief Joseph and his band were ultimately sent and exiled to the Colville Indian Reservation up in Washington. But Chief Joseph would make many trips to Portland to uh, do business in Portland, specifically with the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And on these trips, my great-grandfather would have what we call a welcome dinner for Chief Joseph 
and and his uh, people who were with him. And my family would open their home and have these elaborate dinners that my great grandmother would spend days preparing for Chief Joseph. And on one of those dinners, Chief Joseph looked at my great grandfather and he pointed to my grandfather who was about 12 years old at the time. And he said, will you send your son up to live with me uh, at the Colville Indian Reservation? And my great grandfather said, yes. And so my grandfather as a, a boy of 12 years old went up by himself by boat all the way up to the Colville Indian Reservation. Chief Joseph met him on horseback and he spent a long season there living in Chief Joseph's teepee with his family and then went back home and came back the next season as well and spent another long season hunting, fishing, living as one of Joseph's uh, family in the teepee. And so our family's connections with the Nez Perce literally go back generations. And this was a friendship that was born in a military conflict and yet it, it has become strengthened immeasurably so by the passage of time. In fact, back in 1998, Mary Wood named her baby boy after her great-grandfather. And that's who she was holding at that first Red Heart Memorial when Scotty asked for a little boy so they could honor the child who died there in 1877. And we sat there and waited, nobody, nothing, nothing, and so I asked, announced again, and I said, is anybody, I said, even if it's just a baby, anybody with a little boy, would you please come up? And I looked around, and I looked around, and I was the only one <laughs> who was holding a small baby boy in my arms. And so I walked up to Scotty, who I didn't know at the time, and he said, what is this boy's name? And I said, his name is C.E.S. Wood. And I just, everything just went through me. I mean, my heart just, I can feel it in there. I knew this story after doing all these memorials other places for 20-some years prior to that. So I knew the ties. So anyway, we told we wanted to honor the little boy that was buried someplace there. We wanted her little boy to have that teddy bear in that chair. So she took them and she came up and then she told who she was. She identified herself and her family and uh, her her grandfather was the one that went to live with Chief Joseph for a couple of summers. And He presented the blanket that was on that empty saddle to my boy, to my baby. And he said, this is an honor of the memory of Little Bear who is buried here somewhere on these grounds. And so I took the microphone and I said um, to the audience, I said, I accept this gift on behalf of my baby and I promise that we will never let this story die. And so every year, after that time, our family brings a little baby blanket and we present it in honor of Little Bear, who is buried at those grounds. 
and we present it to a member of the Red Heart family. And that has been a beautiful tradition um, that keeps the story alive and that um, honors the memory of what happened there and the losses that, that the Red Heart family has suffered. And so now that's become a, a annual. We take our chair over, we'll have somebody come up and get it and take the chair. And she'll always recognize somebody from the band with a little blanket or something. But the Woods family, because of that, have become part of our family, part of our band. And we have a lot of, lot of respect for them. These things have a lot of meaning. They have a lot of meaning. For Jamie Pinkham, who we heard from at the beginning of this program, the meaning of the Red Heart Memorial became not just historical, but personal, as he became close friends with Mary Wood and her family. Mary's great-great-grandfather fought against my great-great-grandfather in 1877. And the fact that Mary's grandfather then lived with Chief Joseph for two seasons. Um, and so when Mary invited me to house sit at Woods Landing, we, we kind of felt like this reciprocity was even going on where her grandfather went to live with, with Chief Joseph and, and I'm from the Joseph band. And here I am now kind of living amongst the Wood family um, at this beautiful house on, on, on the river. And we took that as an opportunity to kind of keep this sense of history and connection going and said, you know, we ought to start hosting a dinner around the Red Heart Memorial, similar to what um, you know her ancestors did. And so it was always just keeping the cycle going, not ending the relationship, but kind of keeping this history, you know, a, a chance for new generations of Nez Perce, new generations of the Wood family and the community at large um, to keep this relationship moving forward. And, you know, the, the annual commitment to do the Red Heart Memorial and the dinner by the Wood family just shows that um, we're still writing history here. I think to bring a community into ceremony in this way is so unique and so precious. It is hard to imagine it being replicated in some sense. So, but, but one hopes that the seeds planted in this ceremony in the hearts of all those who attend, one hopes that those seeds will come to fruition in miraculous ways across, across geography and across time and across many, many families. And so that really is, is much more mysterious and sacred and almost unfathomable than some of the more um, formal sorts of apologies or reconciliations that ceremonies often produce. I guess this ceremony really transcends institutions. It's, it, it, it lives at a much deeper level. It opens hearts and it grows in the hearts of all who come. And it continues to grow after we leave that 
that place. And so when we all come back the next year, we are different people because we have been touched in a way that grows within us. And so that to me is the most precious and valuable aspect of, of this day every year. It is not something that is reducible to institutional reconciliations or apologies. It's something that grows on a very human level across families, across geography, and across time. More than two decades after the first Red Heart Memorial, the seeds Mary Wood describes are reaching a new generation of Nez Perce tribal members, and they have their own views on what it means to practice history in public, and are asking tough questions about how to honor their ancestors. Here's Ty Simpson. I am a descendant of Timina Ilp Ilp, and in English, we would know him as Chief Red Heart. Not only am I a descendant of Chief Red Heart, I'm a descendant of incredibly powerful uh, and dynamic matriarchs of the Red Heart Band. And I'm so very thankful for that history. Um, our ties to Nimipu country and Nimipu land are, you know, 15,000 years old. So to know who I am going back several generations is uh, both privilege and an honor and something that I hold very sacred and dear in my life. I'm an advocate and champion for Indigenous sovereignty. Um, And I love that the history of Chief Red Heart is uh, disobedience and dissent, which is why he was imprisoned in the first place, because I feel like that's a genetic trait, because I am a radical dissenter and I disobey constantly. I am uh, ungovernable which I think is a facet of decolonization and indigenous sovereignty and in that uh, I'm a, our, our old ways are the ways that guide my life and the way that I live my life and uh, my work as an activist as, and as a community organizer. Um, so there's a lot of power in, in knowing who I am and knowing that I'm a descendant of a chief who did dissent against the federal government during forced displacement and forced dispossession and Indian removal. The Red Heart Memorial in Vancouver, I've only attended once in my memory, but I believe I did attend it early, like as a child and not really comprehending what I was attending at the time. I I love it because it's a gathering of Timina Ilp Ilp. It's a gathering of all of our family and all of our people. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is that it was like this idea of healing and reconciliation is instigated and catalyzed by the white families who were impacted by this imprisonment of Timina Ilbil. I think now it's be it's evolved into that. It's given it's given elders and culture keepers in our band purpose behind celebrating the history of who we are as descendants of Timina Ilp Ilp. I think now that we see the value of it and the way that we understand it as a family and the way that it brings us together, it's it has evolved and changed into something deeper for us all, which I really appreciate. And I, and I look forward to participating in future memorials. But I also believe that reconciliation and healing will have to come from us. We determine what that looks and feels like. 
is there a scholarship fund for the descendants of Timina Ilpil to attend college for free anywhere in our ancestral territory, right? Those folks who are descendants of the soldiers in the cavalry, right? Are they making an attempt in a contemporary to ma- way to offer reparations to descendants of Timina Ilpil? There's a million ways that that can show up and manifest and be embodied and look. What happens is, is we romanticize history in such a way that that's where we want to stay because it feels good. It gives us warm fuzzies. It's a, it's this story of, of friendship and reconciliation, and we love that. But it does not admonish the responsibility of forced dispossession, displace, displacement, marginalization, dehumanization, all of those things. Like nobody is admonished from those things. <laughs> And so what does it mean to really look at taking responsibility to repair the harm that has been caused against him in an ill-built in a historical sense, and then the far-reaching effects of that harm in a contemporary setting when he has a vast family? We're a big family. We're a big band of the nation. What does modern memorialization look like? to honor Timina Ilpilp. So that's the question I hope people somewhat ponder and try to reconsider. It's the nuance of how we memorialize this chief. The Red Heart Memorial took place every year for 21 years. It was canceled for the first time in 2020 because of the coronavirus pandemic. It resumed again in 2021, but not as a public event. This memorial only included the key participants, Nez Perce leaders, members of the Red Heart families, representatives of the city of Vancouver, and the National Park Service, all gathering once again to honor the memories of those held captive here. The story of this memorial will continue to evolve as new generations tell it. This program is part of an oral history project to record the memories of those involved with the Chief Red Heart Memorial. We'll be recording more interviews, and the entire project will be housed at our digital library at confluenceproject.org. Thanks to our partners at the National Nez Perce Historic Trail, which provided the funding to make this possible. Thanks also to all of our interviewees and to all of our partners at the City of Vancouver, the National Park Service, and the Nez Perce Tribe. The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is produced by Gretchen Kilby and Chris Lehman. Oral history interviews were conducted by our program manager, Courtney Yilk. Lily Hart is our digital manager. To find out more about Confluence, check out our website, confluenceproject.org, where you'll find information about our five completed sites along the Columbia River system in collaboration with Northwest Tribes and the celebrated artist Maya Lin. You can also find a series of interviews, documentaries, podcasts, photo galleries, and articles about the history, indigenous cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. 
Thank you for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast. Podcast.